All right, Redeemer and guests, glad that you're tuning in right now. My name's Dusty. I'm one of the pastors and want to uh, hopefully get to some real encouragement in a minute. This sermon is not, at the end of the day, going to be about coronavirus, and aren't you glad about that? But it does set a lot of the context, obviously, for the weird way that we're doing this. Less than ideal, uh, to be sure, that um, this has been a crazy last few days and how quickly this has happened, even nationwide, on on the things that are being asked to, you know, limit the, the spread. And, you know, Keenan already said this, but I, I just want to make it really clear that there's real downsides to either choice, whether we would have met in person today or uh, like we canceled our in-person services and went online, that there were some real risks either way with that. And, um, and I, I want to acknowledge that as well as to say that our, our at the end of the day, our elders and senior staff, the decision at the end of the day was a consensus around how can we best serve our neighbors and at the end of the day, our, our most uh, vulnerable in our society, immunocompromised, we have people with cancer at Redeemer and in the city that we know, friends and family, and as well as people that are a bit older are a bit more of a risk. And so we felt like this is the best way that we can serve our whole city. And so I hope that you'll engage with us here. And there are some really unique things that, that the Lord may, may do in the middle of this. And let me, let me offer a big one that we're going to spend a fair amount of time on, that during times like this, the temptation um, can feel like that things are, are really fragile, um, really fragile, and that the world is almost spinning out of control. And I think you might feel that way either. You may feel that way because you think this is the dumbest thing ever, and you're really disgruntled that the Big 12 tournament didn't happen, that March Madness isn't happening. I feel you on that. Um, I've got a lot of people I know that have been impacted even directly that are athletes in the sports world and, and um, you know some real limits there. And uh, so you, you could feel that. But even, even if you think this is the dumbest thing ever and that people are overreacting a lot, that you sense the fragile nature of our stock market and you um, realize even society about how fragile all this is and it can just feel like, oh my gosh, this is getting out of control. Or if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you are really freaking out right now and wondering if, if we're going to have you know something that just goes all the way through our society and changes things forever and you're really, really afraid, you would really be feeling this, that it is, it's so fragile. Life is fragile and our world is fragile and then it's all spinning out of control. You could feel that on, on either end of the spectrum. And, and I think this is one thing that we're going to look at today that may really help is that our world has almost no resources for, uh, for suffering and this kind of anxiety about, um, man, are, are we going to be okay? Is our economy going to be okay? And or physically, are we going to be okay? There's so few resources because our whole world's value system is, hey, let's, let's find our meaning in the here and now. Let's, let's have our fun. Let's have one experience that kind of stacks on another, on another, on another. And, uh, and then that's it. You just kind of continue to do that and, and you, you find some things that'll be enjoyable or bring meaning to you in some way or another. But what happens when it's like this? What do you do And when life is fragile and it's spinning out of control? So what we're going to do is um, this sermon, again, is not about the coronavirus, but it's about, it's about some awesome truths about who God is in his nature that, to me, are just rock-solid truth like granite that you can drill down to to anchor yourself on uncertain times. So we're actually going to start in Acts 17, and that was one of the chapters that if you were reading along in our reading plan this year, that um, that we have um, that was one of the chapters you were assigned this week. In fact, Adam Murphy was supposed to preach a sermon. It was a good sermon. Um, I heard the the first version of it on Wednesday, and um, it felt like that we needed to really dial in a bit on on even a couple of verses in Acts 17. So we're going to be there, starting in verse 24. Also, that if you want to put a finger in Psalm 115, 
we're going to end our time there. So uh, we're going to be in Acts 17 and then in the Old Testament, Psalm 115, hopefully finding something rock solid uh, about who God is that will reassure us when life feels really fragile and spinning out of control. So let me read um, a couple of verses at a time in Acts 17. I'm going to start in verse 24. I'm going to read verses 24 and 25. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. These two verses are so great. And uh, the basic idea here would be is that, look, God made everything in the world. And um, he's, he's the Lord of heaven and earth. That means he rules heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples made by, made by people. And he was having this conversation to some really religious uh, Athenian types that were there in Greece and who had all kinds of temples to all sorts of deities. And, um, and he's saying, look, he, he didn't live in any of these things, in any of these structures. And in fact, even the Old Testament temple, God did not dwell exclusively there. Now, he dwelt in a sense, in a way where um, Israel could encounter him through priests and through sacrifices, his presence could be uh, could be enjoyed and engaged in a limited way, but that would not mean that God was not everywhere. Um, so sometimes over the years, I've had people feel like that about a church building, even where people will say, "Hey, you need to dress a certain way because you know, would you dress in you know kind of shabby clothes if you're going to go meet the president of the United States?" Uh, so those kind of arguments, or maybe they cuss like a sailor outside. That you come inside a church and they let one slip, and they're like, Oops, "Sorry about that. Didn't mean to do that." As if God is is living here in a way that He isn't in your truck on the way home. And my counter argument to those kind of thoughts would be something like Acts 17. Of okay, if you feel like you need to dress in a certain way to encounter God like you would if you're dressing up to meet the president. Uh, that makes perfect sense if God only lives in one place. Uh, but we've just seen right here that he doesn't live right here where I'm filming this from at Redeemer, that he doesn't live here, that he is here. How about this? He doesn't live here exclusively, that God is everywhere, and he's just as surely here where I'm filming this as he is in your living room while you're drinking a cup of coffee and tuning in and listening to God's word preached, that he is everywhere. He didn't, he didn't live in the structures that we make, that he exists inside of that, but beyond that. And verse 25 gives more to that. It says, he's not served by human hands. I love this next, this next part, as though he needed anything. Um, he's the one who gives everything to mankind, life and breath and everything. He's the creator. And it kind of goes back around to where verse 24 started. And so this is a really bold statement saying God is not, he doesn't need to be served. And this may be confusing because there are other places in the Bible that talk about us serving the Lord and even tell us how to serve him. And you may be like, wait, should we serve God or should we not? And I think what Acts 17 would say to us is there's a way that we can serve God that's helpful and God-honoring, and there's a way that we can serve God that might be even be idolatrous and, uh, in a, and self-oriented in a way that might be surprising. So here's the way that we're supposed to do it, based on this verse right here, is that anything that we do in terms of worshiping the Lord or sharing our faith with our friends around us right now or discipling others or anything that we might do you know, where we, through our generosity, meet needs, any of the things we might do like that, 
that um, we need to understand that God does not need these things. Like He does not emotionally and existentially need us to do things for Him so that He's okay. And this is a really important idea because over the years I've heard this said in a lot of different ways, the wrong version of it, where I've heard people talk in Genesis 1 and 2 trying to explain creation, and they'll say, um, you know, God you know, created the world because He was lonely. In other words, that that uh, you know he'd been around for eternity past, but he kind of just got bored, lonely, needed somebody to play with, and even if it was a frustrating creation with human beings, it was still he still wouldn't be alone. And like Acts 17 would say, you've completely misunderstood even what creation is about. God did not create humanity so that he wouldn't be lonely anymore, or he had a kind of a gap in his heart that was U-shaped, like as in you as a person, and you would kind of complete him, that that is most certainly not the picture of the Bible, but it's instead that that God um, God is the one who serves you, that that's the picture here, is that, that he doesn't need anything, and so he created you, number one, but even on top of creating you, he also, in a regular way, he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you and be resurrected from the dead, and, and even in an ongoing way, through his Holy Spirit in an ongoing way gives sustaining grace for life and in so many different ways that God serves us. And so the right way to serve God would be understanding, look, I, if I come and I sing today and I'm hearing, um, whether it's in your living room or wherever you are, and I, I'm hearing God's word preached and I believe it and I cherish it and I'm holding on to it and, and I'm looking to meet needs wherever I see them and trying to serve my neighbor however I best can, and you, you do these things, that, that the way to do that would be understanding that God didn't like need that, that praise for him to be okay, but instead in God serving you, like he's actually including you on this, this awesome communion that the Trinity has had, Father, Son, and Spirit, perfectly content, echoing praise off of one another for all of eternity. And even in creating you, even in saving you, if you are a Christian and you've put your hope in Christ, that he's even served you in that, that he's bringing you into that fellowship that he has enjoyed and been perfectly content in and has lacked no thing, that he's bringing you into that. I mean, this is this is how God serves you. So any of the service that you provide is in response to God serving you in this way. Um, that is incredible. So if you put all this together, it's a pretty majestic picture here in these these couple of verses. He's everywhere. He doesn't need anything from us. He's self-sufficient. He's ruling and he's unlimited. Um, th this is a beautiful and majestic picture of God when you feel like life is fragile and it's spinning out of control. Now let's look at the next couple of verses here in verses 26 and 27. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is, not, he is actually not far from each one of us. So I've got four points that I'm going to run through here about verses 26 and 27 that I think are incredible in our fragile moment that we're living in right now. Number one, that God put you on this earth in March 2020. Right here. Like, that's, that's what this is saying. In fact, really every human being that's ever lived it says he made from one man, presumably like Adam and Eve at the very beginning in the garden, every nation of mankind as we dispersed all over the globe to live all the face of the earth. And he determined allotted periods and boundaries. So in other words, the place you live right now and the, I mean, he, could have, he could have put you 50 years ago or 100 years ago or in a different country and different family. And he could, but he put you as an individual at this time, in this moment, he placed you here. He gave you these allotted boundaries, and, and this means, uh, means 
all of what it means to be you, but even this moment that we're going through, as frustrating as it may be, the virus and people's reaction to it, and regardless of which end of that spectrum you're on, I'm thinking it's the dumbest thing ever, or totally freaking out, that he put you here in the middle of it with whatever it is that's going on. Um, second thing, so God put you here on this earth is the first thing, March 2020. Second thing is God put specific people around you in March 2020. And I get this from the same verse that um, that he, he put... He, from every uh, one person, every nation of mankind, and then he determined allotted periods and places. That means the people that are in your life right now, he put them there. And by God's design, you are here, but the people that you know and the, the people you're maybe tuning in to watch this with and people that you're in contact with. And he's Paul's addressing these really philosophical people in very philosophical terms. Uh, but now uh, now what he's doing here is saying, look, this, this moment here is is real and he's placed you in it and i love the thought of, of something i saw from um, martin luther which would sum up you know really my take on on how i would like to see redeemer and use individual christians interact with um, with everything that's going on here i think this is really incredible and it would it would have something to say about how we might engage our neighbors in the middle of all this like how we can love our neighbors well when we're also trying not to get someone sick that might have a hard time fighting off this virus through wise practices. So, okay, so Martin Luther, 500 years ago, this is what he says. And, you know, the, the bubonic plague was something that would rear its head. And if you've done any study on that, like had a lot more teeth than, than the thing we're currently dealing with, even if we need to take this seriously. This was very, very serious. So my point was Luther wasn't just talking casually or theoretically. So here's what Luther said. You ought to think this way. Very well. By God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison and deadly a fall. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. So Luther says, so his response as a Christian, living in this period of time, you know, in the 1500s, and, you know, with that plague, I'm going to ask God to mercifully protect us. So that would be a Christian response, according to Luther. Then, listen to this, shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. So he's, he's going to make a case here of using the best practices of his day on, on not spreading it and not getting sick. And he said, I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. I think that's really interesting. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what was expected of me. And so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. So Luther here is saying, look, I may get sick. Other people may get sick. But um, if that happens, it will not be because I was negligent. And I, I would have done the best that I could. And I, I would not be responsible for that because I went out of my way using medical best practices and creating a little bit of space. Um, but, but then listen to this. And this is the second point of the people that God has put around us. If my neighbor needs me, however... I shall, I shall no avoid place. I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely. So he's saying, look, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to socially distance to use our terminology now, and I'm going to take the medicines I need to take, and I'm going to use the best practices of the CDC and the World Health Organization and our local authorities and, and national authorities. 
Uh, but when there's a need, I'm gonna go freely. There's a time to take a risk, and I'm gonna leave those groceries at the front, uh, their front porch, and I'm gonna check on them via text message, and I'm gonna call them, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give to the food bank. That's probably gonna be one of, our, uh, one of our biggest needs in this city is kids have a hard time getting meals as it is, and if schools get canceled, you know, donating to the South Plains Food Bank, that may be one of the best ways we can serve. But man, when you're needed, you step right in. You've been given this time and place. And he finishes and said, see, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and it does not tempt God. And I love what Luther's getting at right there is there's a way that you can, you can act like you're acting in faith that's brash and foolhardy and actually tempting God just because you're not being wise. Uh, and you could be actually harming others, and yet we're also aware of the time and place that we live. Number three, these allotted periods and boundaries occur so that we would seek God. Well, I love this part, and this is where we really make a, a gospel pivot um, in these last two points I'm going to talk about, is we have these allotted boundaries that God has, has caused you to live in, and you live in a time and place, and you've got the people around you that God has appointed and there's a whole run out to this of every human being that's ever lived is that you would, you would seek God and even feel your way toward him is the language of the text, which I just think is beautiful. You would feel your way towards him. And this is every human being that's ever lived. They were put in the set of circumstances they were put in so that we all would seek God. So we could say with authority that one of the purposes of you being here in March 2020 and the people around you being here in March 2020 and whatever you're feeling more, the frustration of sports getting canceled, the market and the economy's instability, or even the fear of the disease itself, that, um, that the point would be that you would seek God and you would kind of feel your way uh, toward him and find him is the, the picture. And, um, and I think this, again, as I started this whole message with, is this is so important because in the moment we live in, there's not a category for suffering. There are no resources for suffering and instability and fear and anxiety. Like there are no resources for any of that other than go have, uh, go accomplish something else and go have more fun. But what happens if you can't go have more fun now? And what happens if some of your fun is limited? And what happens if your next accomplishment may be thwarted because of economic pressure? And I'm like, what do you even do if, if this is kind of the salvation model of our age is to accomplish more and experience more and find more comfort when those things are, are not there. And the answer is, is you're placed right here and your neighbors and your friends so that you would seek God and kind of feel your way towards him. Um, I love that. And, and to me, the, the image that I'm thinking here is of, um, of Everest, Mount Everest. If you've ever watched one of those documentaries or maybe even just a regular movie about people climbing Everest. I mean, it's quite an arduous thing. You know, they've got these fixed ropes and they lay they lay uh, ladders over crevasses and you got to cross them and then, you know, have these super uh, steep inclines and, you know, avalanche is a risk, rockfall and icefall is a risk. And then finally, the altitude at the, at the higher levels is what's considered the death zone. And so I think a lot of you may imagine this to be, you know, when God says kind of find your way, kind of feel your way towards him, that you would seek God, that it'd be like climbing up Everest. And you're, you know, going through all these things and you're kind of feeling your way around and you hope that you can climb up there far enough to find him. But this really leads us into the fourth, um, the fourth final point of, uh, of these couple of verses here in Acts 17, and that's that God is near. So he's placed you where he's placed you. Right now, he's put people around you. And the third thing is he's allotted these boundaries in the place that you live so that you would seek him and, and feel your way towards him. Uh, but that may leave you feeling like, well, can I find him? Well, the fourth point is that God is near. And that's how this passage finally concludes is that he's not actually far from each one of us. So um, if you want to use that Everest analogy, 
Uh, you, you don't have to go to the top. If anything, that Christ was the one through his life and his death on the cross and from his resurrection, that he's actually the one that scaled that peak for you. And he went, um, he went to those high places and he laid his life down for you. And our sin and our rebellion and our everything that's broken about humanity and about us in particular, I've got plenty of those things. That'll be maybe another sermon. But he, he did those things and he's actually right next to you that Christ brought, um, brought God and reconciliation with God near to you. So it's just as simple as turning from your own solutions for self-salvation and turning from your own sense of self-reliance, self-importance, freaking out, um, self-loathing, whatever those things are, and we, we turn and we, um, we recognize that he is right here, that Christ has come near. The whole point of the incarnation of Jesus coming as a baby was that God has drawn near to humanity. And this is incredible truth. And you just put all these things again together as you've got this selfish, sufficient God that is everywhere, that doesn't need anything, that rules flawlessly and perfectly over all that exists. And then now um, that he has He has put you exactly where he's put you with the people that he's chosen to put you with. And we are set up to be this church. I and mean, we, we gather, and I, I hate that we're not here in person together. I miss it and I appreciate it maybe more than ever right now. But y'all, we are ready for this, to be God's sent people, to love and serve the world and walk with Jesus individually and to connect wherever appropriate with one another and to serve one another well. Like We are, we are set up for this because God has come near. Uh, he's not far from us, and he put us in this moment in time so that we would seek him. I'm, I'm praying for a revival among God's people, and I've already talked to one friend on the phone this week that just feels like, I don't even think even virus-related, but just on a personal level, that God has drawn him back to, uh, to himself, and what a beautiful thing. I want to conclude with just reading Psalm 115, and I'm not going to add a whole lot um, onto this. There will be a couple of comments I'll do, but we're going to turn there now. It's just another final statement of, look, yeah, things are fragile. It may feel like things are spinning out of control, but God has got this, and he, we can trust him and worship him. Is I'm going to read Psalm 115, and this is a thousand years before, um, roughly before um, you know Paul says what he says in Acts 17, and yet the same rock-solid God is still the same rock-solid God in totally different circumstances. He's still that same God right here where you're tuning in. All right, so here we go, Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So it's all about him, right? We've seen that plenty today. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Here we go, verse three. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. If we heard that theme today, he is never frustrated in any of his purposes. All that he aims to do, God is not wringing his hands, freaking out that the Tao dropped a few thousand points. Uh, or wondering how the disease will will you know be kind of kept at bay that um, he does all that he pleases, never frustrated in his purposes. Um, in contrast, look at verse four and the next few verses, and this should remind you, by the way, of what we talked about last week about these other you know we're, we're salvation oriented people and we're going to find meaning and salvation from something usually in the here and now is what we're going to do. And there are these other modes of salvation and how you're going to find meaning through sexuality, money, success, comfort, people's approval. But look at these contrasting, these idols, you could call them. That's what they would have been in this day and age. Um, but all of ours are, are the same way. It says, their idols, verse 4, are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, uh, do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. Um, they have hands, but they do not do not feel, uh, feet, but do not walk. They uh, do not make a sound in their throat. 
Um, so there's all that. Like these things, they look good and they look like they're, uh, you know, they're the divine and they're really worth following. They're really worth pursuing. But at the end of the day, they're man constructed and they, they don't deliver. They don't, they're not near to you and they're not un, unfrustrated in all that they aim to accomplish like the, the God that we worship is. But listen to verse eight, even as another caution here, those who make them, so those who fashion the idols, become like them so do all who trust in them so you're going to become like whatever you trust in whether it's the god of the heavens that we're talking about today or your pursuit of hobbies your pursuit of um, of pleasures your pursuit of sexuality your pursuit of money comfort approval any of those things that a sense of importance and you could be pursuing any of these things and you will actually become like whatever you trust in. Whatever you worship, you get made into its image. I mean, this, this is a shocking and awesome reality. But for us, so for you, this is going to be Redeemer and God's church. But this is talk, talking to Israel, you know, a thousand years before Jesus. Just let your heart be stirred here. Oh, Israel, in contrast to those who follow these idols of their day. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord uh, who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord. Like the time for that is right now. Uh, nor do any who go into silence. But we, here we are right now, March 2020. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So if you put all of these things together, I hope you just can feast on some rock solid truth in the middle of the fragility of our world and how it feels like it's spinning out of control, how it could feel like that. Uh, but our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. He is not frustrated. Um, he, is, um, he is not served. He doesn't need anything. And unlike all other modes of salvation and finding meaning, he actually delivers on what it is that he says that he will do. Um, he is trustworthy. He acts for your benefit. He is everywhere. He is near. He actually puts you here so that you would feel your way towards him. And because of Christ, he's actually brought himself near for you. So because that, Redeemer, um, trust the Lord. Guests who are tuning in, maybe kind of working on this and have seen that this, um, this, um, this was being made available um, on the internet, that he sees you, he remembers you, and he's put you exactly where he's put you. Trust the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to pray. Well, Lord, would you give us that heart that in the middle of the instability of this moment, that the focus wouldn't be on this moment, although we'd be wise, like Luther advocated, uh, but instead that, or on top of that, that our hearts would trust in you, that we would lean deeply into you in this period that you've allotted for us, the boundary that you've given to us, and that we would feel our way towards you. And there would be revival, even at, maybe through the slowdown of what's going on, that we would turn our attention uh, to you and your word in prayer, and we would find you there, and you wouldn't be far. So, Lord, thank you that you are unlike so many of the promises of the other idols of our world, that you are real, you are true. Lord, would you just protect our whole country and the world from this going any further, that these preventative measures and just your own kindness would prevent the spread of this, that our economy can bounce back, that people wouldn't lose jobs, that there would not be a major loss of life. If anything, we'd look back and say, eh, you know, that was a lot. Maybe we did too much to prevent it, but it would just go away quickly. 
and know that this has impacted many already. And Lord, those that are especially vulnerable and alone would reach out and they would sense your care, especially right now, wherever they are. So Lord, would you move? We trust you, we worship you, and we pray to our self-sufficient um, God who serves us by sending his only son, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.